The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 107 What I Wanted 1886, April 29th, The Golden Apple Ranch Paris and Orpheus rode to the edge of the property until they could see the barn and the ranch house in the distance. Then Orpheus stopped. Paris pulled on Pony's reins, turning the horse so she faced her father. Aren't you coming? Everyone will want to see you. No, I've got to go back. Go back where? Dad, where have you been? I've been with Luke. Luke is dead. His grave is out back by the tree. I shall tell you a secret, although you may not understand. No one ever dies. We just go somewhere else. And that voice in your head you think is your memories? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes I really do whisper to you. Go on. You've got a long night ahead of you. You have a lot of thinking to do. I know you'll make the right choice. Don't tell anybody I was here. Dad, I don't understand. See? I told you you wouldn't. Someday you will. Hopefully, that day is a long way off. I love you. My Anna Lee. Orpheus turned his horse and began to ride away. Dad, I need you. Paris called after him. You don't need an old boxer like me. You can do this. That's why you have twelve brothers. You were never a boxer. Paris yelled back at him. He stopped his horse and turned back to look at her. Then what was I? He asked. You're a musician. Paris yelled. Orpheus laughed and then continued on. Paris watched him ride out, but he never made it to the horizon. Somewhere between here and there, he just disappeared. Paris rode Pony into the barn. She dismounted, and then she lit several lanterns so she could see as she removed the bridle, the saddlebags, and the saddle. She began to brush her horse, and when she was done taking care of Pony, she grabbed her saddlebags and left the stall. She walked across the barn to the ring that she had learned to box in. She slipped through the ropes and stood, remembering all the times she had fought with her father, remembering their fight in Denver. He was alive. Wasn't he? She didn't know what to think. She sat down, her legs dangling off the edge of the ring, her arms wrapped around the ropes. She thought about me. She missed me. But she felt it was over. I was lost to her. She opened her saddlebags and pulled from them the glass flask of whiskey that had been Thalia's. She stared at it, running her fingers across the etched glass. Bell. Are you here? She heard. She looked up and she saw Polly Zena walking towards her, holding a lantern. How did you know it was me? Paris asked. Everyone else is already tucked in. You're the only one in the family out and unaccounted for, she said as she approached the ring. I don't live here anymore. But you're always welcome. Are you going to drink that? I haven't had a drink since I took this job. I promised Eddie I would stay sober until it was done. Now it's done. Where's your girl? Off marrying someone else. 
Sound familiar? Do you want to talk about it? You never have. Three years you've been avoiding me. I know I hurt you. It's in the past. So many things have hurt me since then, it doesn't seem important anymore. And this new girl? I got your telegraph. I got your dress. A wedding dress? It's not for you, is it? Why did you send yourself a wedding dress? Because Helen wanted it. I bought it for her. I thought I could steal her away. I could change her mind. I thought when we got here, we would just run off together. But it's not how things worked out. What's she like? Tell me about her. It's easy to describe her as beautiful. That's how everyone describes her. But she was more than that. She was smart, funny, and kind. She filled even the most boring day riding in a carriage with games and laughter. She was always planning something, pushing the boundaries of what they allow her to do so that she could enjoy every moment. She savored every minute we were together. She would look at me like she was trying to memorize my face so that she would not forget me when I was gone. I think she knew at the end, Trip, we would never see each other again. Do you love her? I swore after Thalia I would never love someone like that again. But yes, I love her. I love her with everything that's in me. Anna, how do I survive this? How do I go through this again? I'm afraid. Why didn't you fight for me? You're so strong, and you fight everything else. Why didn't you fight for me? Because to fight for you meant to fight Edgar, and I loved you both. I had to respect your choice. I couldn't destroy him just to try to steal you. He's my brother. And why don't you fight for her? This is her choice. I don't like it. It breaks the vows we made. But it's what she'd been planning. This was her choice. Instead of just fighting my brother, if I were to fight for her, I would literally have to fight an entire army. The Baron's private security, the men at the railroad camp, probably even the cavalry would come down here to take her back. Belle, I'm so sorry. Polyzina took the saddlebags off of Paris's shoulders. She took the flask of whiskey from her hands and placed it back in the bags. Come on. Come on inside. Get some rest. Okay. I'll try. Paris got out of the ring and followed Polyzina. What vows did you make? Polyzina asked. By the banks of a river in Nebraska. She married me. You're already married. It was just the two of us. She tied our hands together with a ribbon and made up vows of her own. Paris touched the ribbon still tied to the belt loop of her pants. A ribbon. I don't think that's going to hold up in court. <laughs> yeah, well, probably not. The two of them entered the ranch house. I'm sorry. Luca Bell is in your old room. I'll bring you up some blankets and pillows and make up the couch. Is that okay? That'll be fine. Belle, I really am sorry for everything. I know. Sometimes I forget who I'm supposed to be. Sometimes I forget I'm supposed to be alone. God, I wish Luke were here. He always knew what to say. He could always put me back together. <laughs> if Luke were here, he'd probably be off killing half the people in that railroad camp just to get your girl back for you. 
<laughs> yeah. He, that he might. I'll be okay. You can go to bed. All right. I'll be right down with some blankets, okay? Paris sat on the couch, next to the blankets Polyzina brought her, still folded and unused. She tried to sleep, but her mind kept going over and over everything, again and again. One little drink, she thought. One drink, and she knew she'd wake up with the bottle half empty and her heart still broken. She'd been down this road before. She was afraid if she went back down it, she'd never get back up. But maybe that was okay. Everybody has a last day. Everybody has a day where the world wins, and they never get back up again. Eventually, every boxer loses. Paris grabbed her saddlebags and opened them, looking for Thalia's flask. But instead, she pulled out my book. She turned the book over in her hands. She read the cover, The Trojan War. Why was this book so important? Why did it come up so often? She'd never read any Greek myth, but in the past couple of months, for some reason, people couldn't stop talking about it. She opened the book to find inside a folded envelope. On the envelope, in my handwriting, it simply said, Anna. Paris opened the envelope and began to read. My dearest Anna, I want you to know I love you. Truly, fully, and eternally. Right now you're sleeping just a few feet away from me. I'm writing this letter sitting next to you in our hotel room. Wasn't that play hilarious? The train is coming, and I don't know where we're going next. I don't know what the future holds for us. I hope you find this letter because you've gone out to put Pony away and found it in your saddlebags. I hope now you'll return to me, kiss me, tell me you love me, and climb back into bed with me. I hope you're only just in the other room or somewhere close by. But I know the possibility is you're already gone. By now, Oscar will have told you the truth. And he's right. It's a story. I've been telling you a story, and it's all made up. I was given a choice to live my life as a broken, silent, and beaten girl. I could live my life locked up until one day someone loses the key and I'm forgotten. Or I could be Helen of Troy. The decision was easy. I became something different. Because I could not live with what I was. That was my decision. Now it's time for you to decide. But you don't have two choices. You have dozens. One of which is to be Paris. Three thousand years ago, Paris was a prince, lost as a child. He was raised by shepherds. Then, one day, Hera, Artemis, Athena, and Aphrodite were having an argument. A golden apple had been left at a table at a wedding. It was a gift, and inscribed on the apple were the words, For the fairest. Now, each goddess insisted that they were the fairest, but none of the other gods, fearing the wrath of the three that would not be chosen, would weigh in on the argument. So the goddesses looked for a man they considered to be smart enough and witty enough to make this decision for them. They found Paris. Each of them tried to bribe him by offering him their divine gift, if he chose them as the fairest. Hera, the goddess of the hearth, the home, offered him a happy life. 
domestic and tranquil, she offered him peace. Artemis, the goddess of the hunt, offered to make him a great hunter, and he would be honored as a warrior and a fighter. Athena, the goddess of wisdom, offered to make him a scholar. Sought after for his knowledge and statesmanship, he could be a great king, beloved for his justice and benevolence. But Aphrodite, the goddess of love, did not promise to make him anything. She only promised that if he gave her the apple, she would arrange it so that he could marry the most beautiful woman in the world, Helen, the queen of Sparta. Each of the goddesses offered Paris something different. The world was laid at his feet, and all he had to do was choose. Nothing was out of his reach. You, Anna, you're a great fighter, the Denver City boxing champion. Your skills both in the ring and with your guns are unequaled. You could continue to be the bounty hunter your uncle taught you to be, or even sheriff of your own town. Or you could be the scholar your father taught you to be. You could go to a women's college and study. It wouldn't be long before you mastered whatever intellectual pursuit you set your mind to. You could stay home, help your uncles run their bar, distill their whiskey. You could take care of your family, watch out for your brothers, and hold your town together as the center, as its mayor. You could be the matriarch of your family. Or you could have me. Nothing for you is out of reach, including me. You stand at a crossroads, and it's your decision which path you will take. For me, the choice was easy. A slow death imprisoned by my family, or a chance at freedom. But for you, you have so many wonderful paths you could follow. Paths that are more peaceful, paths that are wiser, paths that are simply easier. Or you could be Paris. Right now, you're sitting in a chair next to me. You have fallen asleep holding the newspaper you were reading. I wish we could stay like this forever. But I don't know what you will choose, and I don't know what the future holds for us. All I know is, wherever I am, I'm thinking of you. Wherever I am, I'm waiting for you to return to me. And if you don't, if you choose another path, I'll be happy for you. I hope you find peace. Just know, somewhere, wherever I am, I love you, and I will always be waiting for you to return. Love, Helen. Paris carefully folded the letter and set it aside at the end table next to her. She took a deep breath, and she did not know what to think. What did this mean? She opened up the book and began to read. In the morning, Polyzina came out from the master bedroom at the back of the house to start breakfast. She saw Paris still sitting next to the folded blankets on the couch, reading the book. Belle, are you still up? Haven't you gotten any sleep? Paris shut the book. She was halfway through it already. She looked up at Polyzina. Paris's eyes were wide, her mouth slightly open. Are you okay? You look confused, Polyzina asked. Paris didn't answer. She stood from the couch and then ran to the back bedroom where she knew Hector was sleeping. She threw the door open, Polyzina following after her. She began to shake Hector. Wake up! Wake up! There's no Paris! Paris yelled as she shook her brother. Wake up, you lazy butt! There's no Paris! 
Then where will all the French people go? Hector asked as he turned over, still half asleep. No, not that Paris. The other one. The girl. She didn't exist. It was a lie. She let me believe she had a friend named Paris. But there was no Paris. Paris continued to shake her brother until he sat up. What are you talking about? When did you get home? Helen, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Don't you get it? It's a story. It's Luke's story. I remember. Luke had the names all wrong. It wasn't Alexander. It wasn't Anna. It was Paris. What was Paris? The name of the girl in the story. The one about the pretty princess. The one he named me after. It wasn't Alexander or Anna. It was Paris. So what? I'm Paris. I've been Paris the whole time. She was trying to tell me. Belle, slow down. You're not making any sense, Polyzina said as she sat on the edge of the bed next to Hector. Start at the beginning. What are you talking about? Helen wants me to kidnap her. That's why she kept calling me Paris. She thought I would understand. Helen was calling you Paris. So you were Paris and Helen from the Trojan War? Yes. And that somehow means you have to kidnap her? Asked Hector. Yes. Paris answered. You're drunk, aren't you? Hector speculated. Polyzina slapped him lightly on the shoulder. Edgar, don't tease your sister. She's not drunk, and I haven't seen her this excited in years. Give her a chance to explain. Okay, go ahead, Belle. Explain. Helen wants me to kidnap her. That was her plan. You shouldn't kidnap women. Luke told you all this already. Hector laughed. It's a metaphor. An allegory. It's not a kidnapping. It's a rescue. It's an elopement. I I have to go get Helen. I need your help. That's what she wants. But what is it you want? Hector asked her. I want to be Paris. I want Helen. Why? Because. Paris stopped. She smiled, knowing that what she was about to say was the truth, on every level and in every sense of the word and meaning. Because. She's my wife. Well, fuck. Why didn't you just say that at the beginning? We never leave family behind. Hector stood from his bed, cracked his neck, and stretched his arms. Pollyanna, dear, will you get everyone up? We have a girl to kidnap, Hector said. Polyzina nodded yes and ran out of the room. Have you eaten? You look hungry. When is the last time you slept? Hector asked Paris. I've slept... I've eaten. When? I don't know. Yesterday at some point. Maybe the day before. All right. First things first. Let's get you some breakfast. You're going to cook me breakfast? Paris asked as they left the room for the kitchen. Ha! No! God, no! You're going to cook us both breakfast, and then you're going to get some sleep. I can't sleep. We have to make a plan. We'll make a plan while we eat, and then you get some sleep. I'll put everything we need together. But you're not going to go lay siege to a railroad camp if you're too tired to stay on your saddle. Eddie, I'll be fine. No, Annie. I'm not taking you anywhere until you get some sleep. Fine, fine. But then we go get her, Paris asked. Then we go get her, Hector agreed. I waited all night. I barely slept. 
and then I waited all day. Still, I sat alone in my room. Paris never came. Finally, as the sun set, I heard the key slip into the door, and it opened. Castor entered. He was wearing a fresh tuxedo. It had been pressed, and it looked hard and precise as I knew him to be. You're not ready. Is anyone ever ready? You should put your dress on. Do you need help? He asked, as he went to the wardrobe, opened it to reveal the white wedding dress waiting for me. It wasn't the one Paris had bought me at the fort. It wasn't the dress I wanted to wear. But if I had that one with me now, I wouldn't wear it either. I tried it on earlier. It doesn't fit. You should always have a dress tailored directly to you. I don't know where they got this one, but it was unwise to build it without my proper measurements. It was made by the seamstress who made the dress you're wearing now, with the same measurements. Then there must have been a mistake. It doesn't fit, I said. But it probably would have fit if I'd ever tried it on. Helen, we have a deal. You're not going back out on me now, are you? Castor asked, worried. Where is my bodyguard? I don't know. She's not in camp. There was some sort of fight yesterday while we were in with the Baron. I've been trying to find out what happened, but it's been difficult. No one will talk to me. Then I'm alone. You're not getting cold feet, are you? I know what I must do. Get dressed. The dress doesn't fit. I will have to be married in the dress I'm wearing. If that's your final word, come on then. It's time. Castor held out his elbow for me to take. He escorted me through a small hallway into the main office in the wooden tower. On Agamemnon's desk sat a large contract. Odysseus and Agamemnon were going over it. Agamemnon signing parts of it here and there. Odysseus offered the pen to a priest that stood next to them. He signed the document as well. Then the pen was passed to Castor. He took the pen and signed where Odysseus pointed. Then they all turned to me. He held out the pen to me as if it was a magic wand, as if I would want it. I didn't. What is this? I asked. This is the wedding contract, explained Odysseus. It seems a little thick for a wedding license. There's more in it than just the wedding license. It also contains the merger of the two companies, the exchange of the properties, and rules of conduct concerning your care and duties. This is a contract detailing the full agreement, not just the wedding, but what came before and what will come after. Odysseus continued to hold the pen out to me. Where's Anna? I asked. His expression dropped, and he stared at me with disappointment. We will talk about that later, he said. I would like to talk about it now, I insisted. She went home. She didn't take the job. Odysseus said, as his eyes lowered, looking toward the floor. I stepped closer to him. I took the pen from his hand and whispered so that only he could hear. A lie of omission is still a lie. He stepped back. Then, taking the contract, he pointed to where I needed to sign. I took a deep breath and let it out slowly. I looked at the men waiting for me. The priest seemed indifferent. Castor seemed hopeful. Odysseus looked guilty and Agamemnon smiled with his teeth showing, hungry. I closed my eyes and then opened them. I signed the paper and dropped the pen. All right. If everyone will please, stand over here, the priest said as he moved to a more open area in the office. I stayed still as they moved around me. 
Odysseus came up next to me, took my arm, and then led me to where I should stand. As we moved, he whispered in my ear, She wasn't Penthesilia. You lied to me, he said. Does that make your betrayal somehow less damning? You wanted this wedding. I've only done what you wanted me to do, he tried to explain. You tell that to Penelope when you get home. I'm sure she'll believe you. I pulled my arm from his and stepped away from him. I stood in front of the minister next to Agamemnon. We are here today to join these two in marriage. Please, your hands? The priest asked. Agamemnon turned to me and offered me his left hand. What are you doing? I asked. I'm marrying you. Now give me your hand, he answered. I placed my hand in his, and the minister took a cord from around his neck and wrapped our hands with it. Who taught you this? I asked, my eyes wide with surprise. This is the ceremony I chose. Do you think it's inappropriate? Where did you learn it? The gods taught it to me, he whispered. The cord was wrapped around our hands, and the priest then instructed, Place your right hand over each other's heart. My hand trembled as I reached up and placed it on his chest. Repeat these words. I am yours as you are mine. I am yours as you are mine, Agamemnon said, smiling, his teeth showing. It was the same smile he gave me when he won the chess match, and somehow I felt I lost again. I am yours as you are mine, I said, and then dropped my hands immediately. The cord fell to the ground, but it was too late. It was done. Persephone told me I would have to make a vow before the gods I knew I would break, and in my mind I prayed to her that I would live long enough to get the chance. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee, artwork by Helen Lee, performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead, except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at Helen of the Iron Horse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you. Thank you.